Today we're in the studio of Pasi Aotio, who is a Helsinki-based artist, who works with image and sound. You can tell a bit more, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I work with uh, moving image and sound, and uh, I have studied photography, so I have a background in photography. And at the moment, I am actually going to do uh, one of my first photographic works for probably almost 20 years. Oh. It has been... Uh, <coughs> I made this uh, bird disco vinyl record, which we can uh, then look later. And for the covers, I was working with photos. I, I, and I come uh, into that more, more and more with that project. So I feel that it would be really nice to continue with that. Yeah, I think I uh, first saw your name uh, when you were taking part in the Helsinki Biennial, the first edition with the Bird Disco. So that's the that's kind of the project I associated with you with. But of course, you you have a lot of other works as well, which we will get to. <laughs> I hope. Um, let's maybe start from how you even became an artist. Like, what was your background? Do you have any artists in your family? No, I don't. I don't. And um, when I was, uh, I have grown up in Vasa, and I didn't really see any visual art there, actually. And um, probably first ones, uh, like a contact to the visual art, was was through the uh, vinyl covers, somehow. That I, they were like the biggest images what I was watching when okay. I was uh, a little bit younger. This uh, like a LP size covers. Yeah. And uh, I was really into sports when I was young. I was playing football and ice hockey. And uh, until uh, I was 15 almost, I still uh, uh, wanted to be a professional ice hockey player. But I, I liked it to read when I was a kid. And uh, one of the books when I read first, when I learned to read, was uh, Tuve Jansson's Moomin books. Of course. <laughs> and, and that sort of like, like uh, made a huge impression. And uh, <coughs> then I read some, some other books, like writers, uh, a little bit later. Uh, and I found out that there was a one writer, which I, when I was looking at the book, I saw the back cover that it said, like, uh, Jukka Parkkinen, Kirjailija like Jukka Parkinen, uh, writer. writer. And I thought about that. Well, somebody's, like a profession is writer. And I thought about probably Tuve Jansson too, that, okay, this is her profession to write books. Then I was really into music too, which was introduced by my cousin who is uh, two years older. And I listened really much music when I was young. So I have, uh, that was more of my like, uh, contact to the art in somehow, mm. more than visual art, actually. And, uh, but then you ended up in photography. Huh? How? How did you end up in photography uh, then? Well, it was uh, somewhere when I was a teenager. I, uh, I think my friend was an exchange student in, uh, in uh, USA. And when he came back, he had started taking black and white photos there. And he sort of like showed me the camera 
and the photos. And then I got a little bit uh, uh, interested about it. And, um, but I never really saw any like uh, photo exhibitions in, in Vasa during that time. Uh, the only uh, interesting memory what I have is that I, I went to this, uh, I was living in an area where there wasn't any library in Vasa. So it was like a six kilometers from the town. And we had this uh, library bus which came there two times in a, in a week. And from that, like a, one of the bookshelves, I found a small black book which I started to look and I think it was so fascinating because it was a, a naked uh, old man in it. And I was looking at it and I saw these images of him in this strange uh, like a place. And I looked at the cover and no noticed that uh, it was uh, Jan Kaila's book about Eli Sinister. And I haven't never seen this kind of a book. I didn't really understand what is this book. It's just a, like a, just images. It's just image, images of a man living in this strange place. And, and um, I thought it was a fascinating book, but I couldn't even understand that <laughs> this is a kind of like a photo book. And uh, it's really funny because it's then later Jan became one of my teachers in uh, when I was studying photography, of course. <laughs> and. Um, so that was sort of like my first uh, introduction to the photography art in, in a book mm. format. Then I was quite lost after the, after the high school. I didn't really know what to do. And, um, and uh, when I was 21, I, uh, I, had a, I have started to take a little bit of uh, pictures with, uh, with just a small, like a pocket camera, which we got it into my family. And uh, I probably loaned this my friend's little bit bigger system camera too to take some photos. And um, but then I ended up uh, studying in uh, in here in Helsinki in Laajasalo, Laajasalon Kristillin Opisto. I'm not sure if it's. Is that like a university type? No, of? no, that's sort of like I don't know. I should have checked the word in English, but that's sort of like one year studies before you, you apply to, for example, to study journalistics or whatever. Okay. You pay for that. And then you, it's sort of like a preparation school for your... Uh, like heard a, of okay. Yo, we okay. could check that. Uh, <clears throat> so there was, a, there was a couple of different uh, like, uh, uh, lines where you can pick. And I, I found that there was like uh, uh, fine arts and there was uh, uh, journalistics and communication. And, um, and I, I spoke with my mother about this and um, I, I liked to write in, in, in high school. I think it was, was something what I enjoyed it, this kind of free writing. And uh, we spoke about, I said to her that, okay, I was thinking that this school, I have heard good things about this school and my friend went there like a one year before me and uh, she recommended and uh, I said to my mother that I would probably like to participate in, in this uh, fine art uh, part. And she looked at me and said that, uh, Pasi, you can draw but you don't have any kind of artistic uh, view or artistic uh, talent. <laughs> and then I thought about that, well, Maybe not. So I ended up in uh, in this journalistic uh, okay. and studying. Uh, that also needed to applied. Yeah, I needed to apply for that. And uh, 
But it was the kind of a thing that my parents paid for that school. And I, I also felt that I haven't really shown this kind of a, like a passion for fine art or, mm. or so I, I sort of understand my mother's comment that she was afraid that I'm just going to jump on some different like something what I just come up with a couple of months ago or whatever. Yeah, and when you're so young, I guess you don't have the confidence that, oh, no, no, but I can do this. No. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And in that school, uh, when I, it was about journalistics and uh, writing, but there was also photographing. And there was a dark room in that school. And uh, we, uh, we had like a, some short course of photography, I learned the basics of uh, dark room. I was lucky that uh, it was possible to use this dark room, a little bit of like own time too. Yeah. So I was taking photos during that year in in Laisala, and then uh, learned to develop films and make black and white photos. And after that, I applied to uh, the school in Lahti, which was called at that time Lahti, the Design Institute of Lahti, mm. and there was a photography department. And uh, I got in there, so. That's sort of like my, yeah. my way to the photography. Uh, what does your mom say nowadays about your artistic uh, <laughs> uh, practice? Uh, well, uh, she, <laughs> she she died two thousand and twelve. Oh, so uh, no no, it's ten years over ten years ago. But she hasn't sort of like seen that. She saw the beginning of my sort of like artistic career, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that's life. Mm. Yeah. No, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You you couldn't know that. Uh, but um but somehow when I'm a parent myself, I I try to remember this thing to maybe sometimes think about what I say to my kids and also that uh that maybe I didn't share so much of my thoughts that time that they that she would have understood that I'm more interested in interested about photography and this kind of a, like visual art than, uh, than yeah. she could imagine even. Yeah that, yeah. that I kept it in my inside of me, not showing it so much of outside. Yeah. So it was like a bachelor bachelor degree in Lahti where you were studying? Yeah. And then you went to Taik, what was it back then? Yeah. Or did you spend some time in between? Uh, no, actually, uh, how was it? Yeah. I started in Lahtis from 96 to 2000. Then I uh, graduated from Lahti and uh, I, uh, I met my wife, who I'm still with, it, still together, 98 in Iceland, and she's from Sweden. And we needed to decide which country we are going to stay. And we decided to stay in Helsinki. And we moved to Helsinki together. She was moving from Stockholm and I, I came from Lahti and we decided to start the life together yeah. in, uh, in, uh, in Helsinki. So it was uh, quite obvious that I needed some money directly. So I just started to work as a, as a freelance press photographer. Yeah. I had to work two summers in uh, like a press, press photographer in, uh, in Oulu, one newspaper called Kaleva. So I had had this kind so of. So you were going to all all the time, or no? Just the summers, just ah, the summers. Okay. Summer like uh, yeah, uh, ninety eight and ninety nine, and that was. Uh, I liked it, that job, 
but uh, and I, I felt that when I moved to Helsinki that I can try to at least continue with that job. Then I got this uh, offer to uh, for one year contract to uh, the photo agency Lehtikuva, which is nowadays called STT Lehtikuva, and uh, like a picture agency. And yeah. um, I worked there as a one year, and after that I continued like a freelancing for how was it one year, and then I applied to. I applied to Academy of Fine Arts and I applied to Taideteollinen uh, Korkeakoulu mm. to photography. I didn't get into fine arts, uh, even in not even in the sort of like the entrance exams, but I got into the Stike. Yeah, Taike is what used to be, and it's now called Aalto. Aalto. Yeah. Yes, and it was a photography department. And that time you could study like uh, to be a bachelor there. But also you could sort of like apply to master studies uh, if you have done the bachelor somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of like came out from that, that I applied to uh, do the master's in Taik. Uh, you said your wife is also an artist, so she was supporting these master's studies. Yeah. Like to, she was like, okay with, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was like that. And our first kid was born the same autumn when I started to do my master. So it was a, it was a like, uh, of course, economically quite unsecure feeling. But we were young and we didn't think about that much. So we just did it. Yeah. But, uh, but I also felt that, that I could sort of probably could continue as a press photographer, freelancing, or maybe I could uh, get like workplace some someday. Mm. But I felt that that wasn't really my thing. I wanted to make art. And during that like a two, three years per period when I was off from the school, I felt that uh, I was really like a lacking some kind of a structure and also uh, more, more like a studying. But I did that during the master, studying the masters in, in Taik uh, from 2003 to 2007. I was also working as a photographer some, now and then just like uh, getting some extra money. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so. Yeah, so. I think most people, if not all, do that. Yeah. What was your art like when you were starting to do the art? Because, you know, if, if you come from press photography, how, how, how do you transition to art photography? Uh, maybe it was, uh, I, I already, it was a little bit divided feeling because I, when I was starting in, even in Lahti, I felt that uh, that I wanted to make art somehow, but I was quite into this more of a documentary uh, approach, uh, more like a documentary photography yeah. was my thing than than sort of like a building uh, image, yeah, yeah, or sort of like creating this kind of a like a more like in that sense like art photography. My final work from the from the Lahti was already a video. Because I wanted to tell a story. It was quite, back then, at that time, it felt that quite many who studied there wanted to use some kind of a, like a story of their own, uh, like a relatives or background. And I had a quite interesting story about my grandparents. And I decided that I will do it somehow. And, uh, but uh, to make like an installation with photograph and all that stuff. But 
then it showed up that there wasn't anything. There was just like uh, I found uh, easily I found uh, two images of my grand grandfather and a couple of images from my grandmother. So it was only like this uh, what people remembered about them and him. Mm-hmm. So I just make like a documentary like this that I was just sitting and talking with my relatives and they told the story of, of their life. So you didn't know that your grandmother? Or I, I knew my grandmother, but uh, she died when I was uh, eight years. I was quite close to her, mm. but, the, but my grandfather uh, died in Canada. Was it in 66 or 67? And, uh, and uh, in the bark bench, he was an alcoholic. Oh. and died there and uh, without any money and uh, somehow she didn't because they broke up in uh, 51 when, were tr- when people wouldn't really break up like that in the they, 50s no they they okay i can tell the basic story you can <laughs> then clip it off if you want but the basic story was this that um, back in 1951 my grandparents decided to emigrate to canada mm. and they sold everything And uh, they have uh, five kids, and um, they started to move from Ostrobotnia, a small place called Ahtari, towards to Helsinki. And they found out in Helsinki that there was only visa for my grandfather, not okay. for the family. But the family could sort of like follow to the Sweden, uh, just sort of like say say goodbyes to my grandfather, yeah. that he can go alone. It's a long story, but shortly. So it happened that way that they decided that my grandfather goes there, builds up a house, and sort of like tries to get life together there. Yeah. And then the family will follow after. Yeah. But that never happened. My grandmother came back to back to this Ahtari and started to living in this kind of a... Um, it was called the sauna house like a room where you have a sauna and then you have like a room there together with uh, five children Jeez. and with <laughs> without any money <laughs> oh he, he took all the money to the Canada and Oy. of course it was uh, like a, we don't know we don't really know what happened did he decided to do this in the purpose or did was it a mistake he couldn't understand that he 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 applied the vi- visa, but uh, but he got it only for himself. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, so that was sort of like the basic story of it. And then I started to interviewing all the all the like uh, kids who were of course adults at that time. Yeah. Yeah, including my mother. It was my mother's uh, father who went there. And Wow. Yeah, so it was such an interesting story, which I heard it somehow when I was a kid. Just the small stories, like here and there, that okay, yo, yeah. yo, my mother's father was in Canada, and of course it was such a strange thing in that time that okay, somebody's in Canada, like in ni- uh, 80s, that, or, or at least he was already dead then. But so I heard this story, so I wanted to make uh, final work about it. But there wasn't any material, so I mm. ended up making like a video documentary yeah. that I interviewed for the people, and it became sort of a like a, a image of this Eino Bahamaki, and also a little bit of my grandmother too. 
yeah. these different stories, uh, which were really like uh, different. And of course, everybody had a different opinion about how it happened. And, <laughs> and also, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we watch theories about all kinds of crimes and then you see the truth from different perspectives, yeah, which is how different it could be. Yeah, and all these stories are all, we have all these in our like uh, r- relatives and our sort of like... Uh, yeah. yeah. I had some great-grandfather or... I don't even know what's the exact relation, but yeah. I know that he was in Argentina for a, some period of time and that was in probably the 30s or something. Mm. But I, yeah, I never really asked my grandparents about mm. details. Like, what was that guy doing the, all the way to Argentina? I mean, we really have no connection to Argentina whatsoever. Mm. But it's interesting, yeah. And then you probably also see your relatives as, like, just uh, human beings. Mm. Otherwise, not just, oh, that's my grandfather, but he was a person. He did that and that, I don't know. Then when we come to the, your question about <laughs> the, about the art for yeah. uh, the documentary photos and the art, it's somehow back in that track. Uh, I got more uh, interested while I was doing this final work to Lahtis. I got somehow more interested about uh, making videos. It seems that you are taking from the environment quite a lot of the material mm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. I still feel that my uh, works uh, are quite like uh, documentary based mm. somehow. That I have this quite straight straight uh, connection to the reality in that way. That I choose places where I want to film and uh, more that I would start building up in, in, in the studio. Yeah. And what are you doing at the moment? At the moment, uh, I am planning to make an uh, installation work, which uh, would uh, sort of like combine bird sounds still. I'm into it still, but working a little bit differently. And uh, also video and uh, these photographs, uh, which I started to take a little bit uh, during I was making this bird disco vinyl record covers. Yeah. So I sort of like uh, developing them, <coughs> and uh, then I then I wish that I would learn to use a little bit of lights too. So I'm thinking about this kind of a, like a exhibition which is uh, combined by sound, scape, uh, videos, and perhaps photographies which are interacting with lightning, which is changing. That everything should be in sync somehow, synchronized. So that's what I'm thinking at the moment. But I'm really um, uh, excited about these photographs, which I'm taking at the moment. And I, I wish that that could be also some kind of a uh, new project, which could be separated or is going to be separated from that exhibition to that. Mm. Yeah, do you have the exhibition uh, set already? Not, or is it no, just not yet. still in planning? Okay. Yeah, it's in, yeah. Well, maybe you should uh, actually d- explain a little more about the bird disco because we, we talked about it a couple of times now and mentioned it. Maybe you can tell it more. Yeah. I, I don't want to uh, yeah. like try to describe it yeah, <laughs> to the person who created it. Yeah, it, uh, um, 
it was a long, long like a bath. I made a video work which was called Harhailia, meandering. I don't know if you have seen that. It I was in Huuto, Galeria Huuto, 2018. And uh, for that video work, I was filming around here in Helsinki, in eastern Helsinki, basically, almost all of it. No, some parts were in Sweden too, but but this kind of a, like uh, searching for something, kind of a, like uh, going in different places. Huh? And uh, during I was making these filmings, I found uh, from the free sound, I found uh, Yle Arkisto had uh, downloaded and quite many bird sounds there. Yle uh, Arkisto is the the broadcasting broadcasting service. Yeah, and their archive, yeah. yeah. And uh, they were just free to use. They were common creative license. And I was listening then I thought that these these were really like inspiring and uh, I, I felt that uh, I have a bump into one book like bird book where was this that you see the like the pages and then you push the some numbers and you hear the sound like in this small uh, loudspeaker. Yeah. And I already then thought about that these are really fascinating. But then when I heard this, like Yle Arkistos uh, sounds by uh, by the headphones, I felt that this is really, really beautiful and really inspiring. And I started to somehow think about that I have to do something with this material. And then I made made some kind of a sketches, which ended up in that uh, meandering. But it's a much more shorter loops. And when, when this meandering was ready and it was installed in uh, in uh, in Huuto, I during that installing or something, I said to I said to somebody that yeah, I maybe it would be fun to make this kind of music more and invite people to dance to it, to make make kind of a, like a disco happenings. Yeah. And then it uh, sort of like. The seed was crude then, 2018, and then I started to sort of like develop it in, in my mind. I didn't do anything much about it, pro probably a year or two almost. And uh, then I was thinking, okay, this could be something for like opening of uh, of uh, some exhibition, a little bit bigger exhibition, like opening happening. And uh, but I wasn't really sure about the form, how to do it. Then I participated in this uh, park uh, gymnastics, you know, these free ones, what we have in Helsinki. Yeah, like I, in go, different parks. I, I go every summer to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I'd participated. They had it in our, almost like a background, our house in the park. And I went there a couple of times and then I suddenly sort of like thought about that. Okay, this could be sort of like the form that some, some way that there's like a dancer in the front of like in this kind of a gymnastic, like uh, training yeah that there's somebody who shows the movements and then the other ones just participate as well as they can and then I sort of like got this idea that okay this could be a quite a quite a nice like uh, format and then then I saw that they were applying to uh, that Helsinki Biennale was uh, applying this kind of a, like uh, um, performances or happenings or whatever you could sort of like uh, just uh, send an application. Oh. They had like uh, open call for this kind of things in 2000 and 
2020, I think it was, because it was supposed to be, no, 2019, because it was supposed to be 2020, that yeah. approximately one year before. And then I thought, okay, this could be a quite a quite a good match with my idea of this, like uh, kind of a dancing and the bird sounds and in the island and uh, so there was sort of like good luck that that appeared and also that they had an open call for it. So I just made an application and then when I spoke about the we with the curators who we met, I was chosen to the first there was probably was it two or three different stages. And um, then when I spoke about the curators, they, one of them said to me that you know, she really liked the idea, but she said that get a professional dancer in it, that don't do it yourself. <laughs> and then I understood that, yeah, because I'm not a dancer and I wouldn't, uh, I don't know what kind of a movements I would have done if I just mm. would have. And uh, then I started to looking for a dancer. First, I was uh, I found this one uh, really nice dancer and person who we started a little bit the cooperation, uh, but uh, but then when the COVID started to mix everything, and especially for the performers like a schedule, they sort of like uh, they closed it down every performance. It's like dance performances for a while, and then yeah. when everything opened, it's sort of like boosted that they he needed to be everywhere at, at suddenly and he needed to work with his own stuff so he said that okay if i'm honest i can't really do this well as i i wish to do it and then i spoke with him and uh, he recommended uh, like a, like a couple of dancers and then i then i was calling and asking and uh, then i found out uh, that uh, it fitted with uh, Saku's plans, and Saku has been working, the dancer who I made the bird disco, Saku Koistinen, that it fitted in his like uh, uh, timetable, and that he has been doing this kind of like a uh, forest dancing, like uh, uh, which was called Metsapaletti, forest ballet, <laughs> earlier. So he had, he was sort of like, capable to work with people also, that he has been working this this way. So this was really, really sort of like a good thing, good thing for me to have a, that kind of a dancer who yeah. wants to sort of like parties to get the people participate. Then we were still in the COVID period. So it was really strange. We uh, He came just one one day to a photo shoot in, in Itä-Helsinki to Stoa. I hired the local there that we could make the photos for the press, the catalog in Biennale. And that was the first time we met like physically. And then the second time was in the press meeting in the, in the somewhere in May or. Oh, wow. Only two times. Yeah. And the third time we understood that then when we were doing the first performance in, in Helsinki Biennale, we have met each other physically only probably like eight hours together or 10 hours max. Otherwise we were talking in like, uh, because he was living in, he's living uh, outside of Helsinki one hour away. And uh, so we had these video meetings and were talking. And uh, it was just amazing that how our chemistry then worked together. That it was, yeah. it was just luck. That we suddenly, we didn't know each other when we started to do this at all. 
and it <laughs> was yeah good luck mm. yeah and it worked pretty well i mean i i saw the bird disco in the biennale and it was like wow this is something super interesting and i enjoyed it very much yeah good <laughs> yeah and and it seems that it somehow got more like a not just a one-time project but it's it keeps being in your practice somehow yeah it is and uh, <clears throat> we felt a bit that there was a more like um, there was a more uh, thoughts about to performing it in uh, during Helsinki Biennale in different places but for because of the covid yeah, it, it didn't sort of like uh, nothing really happened we couldn't have this kind of a thing so we felt a little bit that we were not ready with this somehow we had like uh, 19 performances in biennial biennial and in uh, five days and then we have uh, something in uh, store in the night of arts but that was also covid time so there was some just a bunch of people there so we felt that it wasn't we were not ready for that and so we have been doing it in um, a supermarket festival in Stockholm and then uh, then we had almost like one year pause but then the people took contact with us and started to ask him about it per- perhaps because the covid was a bit over and you could sort of like gather around and yeah so we have been doing it this year for four times now this summer almost four, four times yeah and you just came back from Latvia was it uh, yeah yeah from Riga we yeah. had it in uh, in one gallery in Riga like three three times in that night it was Riga white nights happening and uh, sort of a night of arts yeah as we have in Helsinki and uh, it went well and they were really really nice people in Riga and now you you're having a record with it yeah is it going to be sold in some places or online or how, how are you going to yes it? it's going to be sold in uh, um, i just i'm going to get them today and uh, uh, they, it, it will be sold for example in digelius mm. and uh, then also uh, probably online and uh, i hopefully will get it in some other places but this is this is the part with uh, which I didn't really think about that marketing is not my thing that I probably need some help with it that how to organize it and I learned one thing too from my friend who was helping me with this with this record that that uh, it's so expensive to send vinyl records abroad at the moment that it's not almost like uh, yeah it would be easier that you have a, like a distributor in somebody in Europe to mm-hmm. distribute it in different places. Mm-hmm. That, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm completely ignorant about the vinyl record market whatsoever. So, yeah. But yeah, that was a new thing for me. In Finland, you can send it with like uh, six and six euros and fifty cents or something like that, under under ten euros. Mm. So then, if the I'm um, trying to sell them for 25 euros and 35 is probably not too much when you get it at home. Mm. But if you should send it abroad, maybe it's a 60 or 70 euros to get the sort of like 
25 or 30, 30 euros to just uh, like posting it. But I have to I have to check that. Yeah. But I, I noticed that absolutely the best uh, way is to sell them when we have a bird disco. Yeah. Like w- when we have it, and mm. then we I can show you that I that I, I can show there that I have this record. So some people might buy it then. How did you choose to go for making a record exactly? Um, I think that I have been sort of like uh, dreaming a little bit about it because I have a little bit I've been uh, playing guitar when I was a teenager and I had this like a music uh, hobby for 10 years that I really wish that I could be uh, like a professional rock musician or something like that and then uh, maybe it was already there that it would be nice to make a record but then it wasn't like realistic like for before and then I I thought about it a couple of years ago with one of my other projects to making vinyl and I checked it a little bit after prices but when I made this um, video work called Feel the Heat where I have used the same same sounds as I used in Bird Disco preparing them a little bit differently but anyway uh, my friend uh, Tuomo Vanonen saw the saw the video and then he, I think it was him he who sort of like said that yeah shouldn't you make a record out of it and then I started to think why not and he said yeah I can help you with that hmm. no but also I mean exactly the shape of a record because you can you can you know make a cassette you can make a CD you can just somehow I don't know have it online as a mp3 or something mm-hmm. but but for me it was um, the records are cool y- though <laughs> yeah and because of the size you can I decided directly that I tried to make uh, like a uh, image that I like that I sort of like uh, was working quite long time with the image in the in the covers the mm. back and uh, inside I can show you that there's a kind of a little bit kind of a story of the cover that you have like the the forest with the disco lights in front and then when you open it you see that that mm. image which is a completely different and then when you close it, you see the so like the mm, blue forest in yeah, bit this kind of a, like a disco or manner so inside it's 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 a bit grim image of the uh, forest being cut yeah is it uh, like a statement a bit yeah it is a statement <laughs> a bit <laughs> absolutely um with, with, I mean it's kind of leading me to uh, my question of what are the main themes in your work I think I have been quite much dealing about uh, how to be human and uh, sort of like the human life and our uh, this life that what we have inside how it connects to the outside world and and stuff like that maybe in the bird disco I felt that um, when I got this idea to making this dancing and all all that I thought about that okay is there some reason to make it and then I read about this um, decreasing uh, huge amount decreasing levels of uh, bird population so I felt that okay this makes this um, uh, 
more relevant to make this kind of a work that I have some kind of a, like uh, something else there and that's why I made I tried it to create the bird disco in kind of a way that it's sort of like uh, uh, easy in the beginning and slow and sort of like a little bit like a seductive and uh, easy to sort of like approach but in the end it gets uh, more the last song is even called like a crane and theme and uh, that's more of like a like a sad one that everything slows down and this sounds mm. of a crane so also got sort of like a long and uh, doesn't feel that right anymore that sort of like everything stops and uh, I have this like the somehow the idea of the by uh, loss of a biodiversity but uh, from my point of view it feels that my way to work in this kind of a like um, theme is that I concentrate on the people that why we are uh, even we have been knowing this like uh, 30 40 years why are we still behaving like this that more, more probably from that direction than, than uh, that it's just like uh, straightforward environmental uh, question. I haven't been doing like uh, environmental themes before really. But uh, of course due to the bird sounds I got into it more. And I, I feel somehow that we are so dependent dependent on all these like a different uh, life what's in the planet like the insects and uh, and the birds and everything so it is uh, like a whole i mean we are part of that whole we, although we kind of try to separate ourselves you know, and ignore it somehow so so yeah i felt that it was uh, relevant to do this work and uh, and maybe my sort of like uh, point in this, that more is sort of like from the human perspectivity. Yeah, you have the, also this other work that I uh, saw briefly uh, on your website again mm. um, about the walking. That is also very, very much about like observing the human, how it is to be human, mm. the, that process of walking. Which is just like so basic, mm. but yeah. Yeah, and in in that, if you mean the unusual step, yeah, the one in the corner, yeah. taking really l slow step, or the guide cycle, probably it's the right word for that. Yeah, in 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 that work, I was really wondering how we can walk, and uh, it's such such a thing what we learn. Our body learns that. We can't really understand it. It's so complicated that we can sort of like uh, stand still and uh, that we don't fall and then we can take the take the steps and that just happens that if you start to try to sort of like uh, consciously uh, think about it then it doesn't work anymore. That we have this kind of like knowledge in our bodies what we just have learned and that just works. Yeah. And, and walking is basically falling forward. forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, it is. And uh, 
I was so amazed somehow when I when I thought about that the pro perhaps the most uh, known step is the the one what uh, what happened in the moon and uh, somehow I felt that we know so little about our own bodies but we still can send the people to moon and that's sort of like the uh, more concentrate that science was more aware of what's happening there than that in, uh, it's happening in our body these simple things like breathing it was almost perhaps we know now but like 10 years ago it felt that there was it's so complicated that that do we exactly know how it happened and also the walking it was so like uh, all over the body and uh, connected in some some so many ways in brains and stuff like what you have learned and and uh, and the body memory that it was it was really fascinating for me yeah yeah the the other day i was i mean i was going through insta reels and then i don't know how it just popped into my feed this uh visualizations of uh, it's like an, an 3d animation of how some different parts of the body work like you can see how machinic it is for example how the the foot uh goes like this up and down mm. just just the f the base of the foot and the fingers no, toes mm. they're called in english yeah. like just uh how the bone is and the muscles how the muscles i mm. think it was a visualization of how the muscles work okay yeah and it was just like, oh, wow, this super complicated machine. Yeah. Or the knee. There was another animation about how the how the knee folds. And mm. when you just just a simple action of uh, moving your your leg. Yeah, exactly. And this kind of a, like the. I'm not sure what are the English words and maybe I have forgotten, but <clears throat> but we have this like a. Uh, learned uh, like uh, schemes or a kind of a like how the body works and uh, but then something unexpected happens the body has to change the scheme how to react to in it mm. and everything this happens sort of like so fast that we can't that if you if you for example um, the you're taking the steps but the ground is not the same anymore or there's a, like a bump you sort of like have to react on that that the food goes differently yeah and all this is sort of like uh, the the whole body has to sort of like balance it that uh, mistake what happens in that step and uh, that is that is in our sort of like a body or in the brains in this kind of a learned what we don't uh, think about consciously but it's just there like out of my automation yeah and it, it, i feel like people are Nowadays, trying to explain all of these processes very much in in relation to computers, how they work, but we don't work really like computers. Do no. And and also that how hard it has been, like a building a robot which is walking with two feet. It tells about also that how how complicated it is. Although I think they have managed now at this point, and yeah. it looks so scary how how the robot walks. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen the the dog or some kind of a, like a foreleg. Yeah, those Boston Dynamics. Yeah. Oh God, those yeah. are just so uncanny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just recently I I watched that movie Megan. I don't know if you've seen it. It's I think it's from this year. For about this um, 
AI uh, doll, like a human-sized uh, doll. I haven't seen it, but I, I saw the trailer of it, yeah. Yeah, it, it looked very interesting. I mean, at some point it just turns into this uh, horror movie shit, but yeah. uh, the, the concept is very interesting and, and how they have made it, it looks uh, fascinating and creepy in the same yeah. time. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that that's went again uh, outside of the scope of your work. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Do you have some other topics or themes that you have been exploring? The sounds have been uh, interesting for me, and maybe the sort of like the feeling that for me uh, quite often. Uh, the sounds are more connected to the feelings than images. Of course, if we see something really like a brutal image, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, like a, a really shocking. But I feel that the sounds sort of like, uh, like connected to the emotions much more directly than the images. If we talk about this kind of like everyday images and sounds mm. that, uh, that, uh, that I have been trying to somehow probably work with it in my in my works do you have other works that are so closely related to the sound like the bird disco uh, i have a couple of ones that um, i made an exhibition which was called the space of moment in uh, in galleria mu that was in 2009 and that was really based on the like uh, simple uh, sounds of a grand piano and uh, and singing uh, which was in connection to that this kind of a street views and then i had like uh, called music box which was uh, like uh, basically a one round i was filming one one apartment flat in one take like a round that you see around and then then there was uh, like a woman voice who was singing these words, what do you see it in the image mm. somehow? And this, these together, and then there was a, one which was called Prey, where we saw just a fe women, female way, uh, we saw a female face, and she was saying words what she saw outside or somewhere. We didn't see, I didn't show them in the picture, but we just saw her. But at the same time, when she was saying those words, you could hear a choir of uh, different ages, people saying these same words to creating this kind of a, like a feeling of a little bit of like if you said the pray in the church together, this kind of a, like a, so, um, so there was really like, uh, these sounds were really important. So it's been brewing there for a while. It's not just like suddenly interest in the sound, yeah. No, no, no. I have been, and often I have been thinking about uh, really much sounds to my video works, but then I have um, took somebody like a professional who helps me with uh, with making them, like finishing them well, and prob probably like helping to uh, produce it in the way as I want. Mm. But this bird disco was sort of like uh, the first time I really decided to do it myself. And I felt that uh, I wanted to just try, try yeah. to do it. Yeah, and then 
going towards more of the process of how you work, do you have like a specific ways of working or routines of some sort? Or yeah, um, <laughs> kind of. A <coughs> I think the routines are really, they are a bit hard for me. And maybe I'm that kind of person, but my main routine is that I, I come here to the to my studio approximately nine o'clock in the morning and then I go home approximately four o'clock. Proper work day. It's a proper work day and uh, it's really funny to hear that many many other ones have started the same the same thing. You can hear now and then that this kind of myth of uh, working as an artist during the nights drinking red wine that doesn't it's it's really many who just decide that they have to keep up this routine. They come here and they start to doing and then they create in during this office time. Yeah. But of course, for me, it's the the reason is that I have three kids. So basically, it has been. You need to have a schedule. I, I have guess. to have a schedule and and sort of. A, it has been like that that uh, many years we. One of us or took uh, kids to the kindergarten and then to the school and check that they go to the school and then we come here and then we come back around four o'clock and then we made food and, and then it's sort of like the time for the family after that. Yeah, yeah, and also that uh, story about the uh, uh, artist and the wine and the night work, like it, how sustainable is that? How, how long can you do that yeah, before oh, exactly. you just break? It? Yeah. That's very 20th century. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the only way. Yeah. And um, and uh, I, I feel that that is quite good for me. But of course, I, I work really much. Um, also, I don't do anything, everything in here. I just, uh, I go to see, uh, like, uh, watching the places where I want to film. So I might take a bicycle and bicycle around somewhere. Or sometimes I feel sometimes I need to take a car too that I need to drive and check some places where I could film something stuff, and uh, so that's also part of it. And make like a sketch photographing or sketch filming mm. with a video. So, so you do quite a lot of preparations before you go and actually film. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, quite often I I film the same thing two three times because I make mistakes what I don't like and. Mm. And that's sort of like quite a quite a normal way for me that I film and then I come here and I start to editing it and then I found out that okay it doesn't really work the way as I thought that's the normal way <laughs> <laughs> and then I edit it here and then I feel that okay it should be filmed in this little bit different way and I miss something and uh, then I go back there and if I'm filming in the nature it has changed, of course. It doesn't look the same anymore. So I, so I, uh, and if I want to keep the sort of like the feeling constant in the, in the in the film, then I have to sort of like uh, redone all the filming again, but not always. Do you but usually film by yourself, or do you? Yeah, yeah, most of it. But I wish that uh, maybe in the future I could try to work with some kind of a, like a production company too. But so far I have been filming everything. All of my like works I have been filming myself. Yeah, so it has been sort of like a small productions. 
Well, but, it's, it's easier to do it a couple of times when yeah, it's a small production. Exactly, and then you can sort of like film as much as you want or uh, as much as you sort of like feel like. Mm, yeah. But of course, then you are sort of like, uh, then you get mm, one kind of a material. If you would have uh, had like a big production, then you could probably get different kinds of material. And that's sort of like, I feel maybe that I have been doing it so much myself. And the, the last work, uh, the Feel the Heat, which I did uh, with uh, basically together with Saku, the dancer. And, uh, and I also took the lights in the forest and it was so much stuff already. We had like quite heavy, heavy backs that I, I, I felt that, okay, this is probably the last time I want to work this way, that I want to have more people around me who can carry stuff and, and sort of like, uh, sort of like uh, concentrate on some other parts of yeah. the sort of like the lights and the, and the sound. But of course, then it's the, then it's the thing again that when you do it yourself, you can do it as many as times as you want. And you sort of like, uh, uh, you have all the decisions can you, you can make yourself and you sort of like have the whole process in the, in your hands. And I think that that's also why I probably have been doing it, that I didn't want to sort of like let anybody else decide it. Yeah. I mean, of course, you decide eventually what to keep and what not to keep. Yeah, but exactly. But yeah, I, I yeah. understand that, you know, yeah. having total control is uh, yeah, exactly. feeli feeling good. <laughs> yeah, but, but I feel that I could uh, try to work uh, also in another way. That it would be probably also really fruitful mm. to change uh, your sort of like this kind of a, like a manners, how you work. That will also change a bit your art too. That if you, For sure, yeah. that you change this and that's kind of a thing what I have been trying in many other ways, change it, but not in this way that I, I will, I have been doing it all by myself, but I have been sort of like trying to change a little bit of the approaches during the years. Yeah. What do you use to edit? I'm just, huh? what do you use to edit the footage? I edit it in here. But like what software? Ah, okay. I'm just curious. Yeah, okay. Uh, I used to edit it with uh, Final Cut Pro when it was only HD material. Then I had, uh, for a short moment, I have a DaVinci Resolve because I bought this uh, Blackmagic cinema camera. But I felt that that was a bit tricky, tricky program. And then I got a little bit better computer from my, my work I'm teaching too. So I got a little bit better program from their uh, computer. And then I couldn't install for some reason that DaVinci Resolve into it. But I had uh, uh, this Adobe uh, creative license package. Mm. So I could take a Premiere into yeah. that computer. And I felt directly that I, I could use the Premiere really easily. I understood the logic. Because the logic in the, in the DaVinci Resolve is so different that it took me like a, uh, half a year, one year to sort of like understand it and, and all the time struggling that it doesn't really work intuitive mm. way as I, I feel that it should. And then when I just opened the Premiere, I was able to work directly. Yeah, I'm using Premiere as well for, yeah. for the podcast and for other works. Yeah. 
So I, I, I felt that that was sort of like I've been using uh, Photoshop all my life, basically. So or when I started to learn it, like 20 years ago, more more than 20 years ago. So it felt that it was qu quite easy to use Premiere. Mm, yeah. You said you're teaching. I usually ask people about how, how they sustain their practice. Mm. What do you teach? Uh, at the moment, I teach uh, kids in this uh, uh, school, which is uh, like a hobby hobby for the kids. It's uh, it's not much at the moment. It's only three hours in a week. But I have been doing uh, more teaches in some years before in there. It's this Espon Kuvis. Mm. And um, then I have been... Uh, then I take photographs for them and uh, arrange uh, exhibitions. They need like... A, we have a once in a year. We have a, like a spring exhibition with the kids' works. So they just... Uh, but we have to... The teachers have to do that the physical work to put up the things and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, yeah. so I do that too. And, uh, and then I can have, sometimes I have uh, like uh, this kind of like school classes, really short stop motion animation, uh, uh, like a two and a half hours, uh, like a course for the for school classes. That they come there and then I teach really fast how to do it and then they can work two hours and then we check what they have been doing. Mm. Oh, interesting. Are the kids, you, you say, are they like small kids or are they high school kids? Uh, what I've been teaching mostly are like from 12, 13 up to 20. Mm, yeah. But these school classes can be like, uh, they can be from, from nine to nine years up. I have been trying to do that uh, to the smaller ones, but then it gets uh, quite Ah, uh, yeah. Quite uh, experimental. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you think that all the equipments are still in one piece after the <laughs> class. Have you ever found yourself in a creative block? Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I felt that in uh, really hard in that 2018. When, when I finished this uh, work called Meandering, uh, I, I felt that I was, uh, somehow during when I was filming it, I, I felt a bit that, that uh, is this going to be good, this film? And uh, I somehow felt that it was a quite good title for the work, that I was sort of like meandering or searching something. And, uh, and after, after that was ready, I felt that I didn't have any idea and it was really hard to apply grants, like working grants, because I felt completely empty. Mm. I felt that if I would have had like an easy job to just go there, I think it would have been really good to just go and do some work to get money. Yeah. But uh, I didn't have that. But then I started to apply this uh, teaching job in, for example, in Espon Kuvis. Okay, so so I, well, I need it for economical reasons, like, uh, so I, I tried it a little bit different things. So you know. you, and how do you get out of it? It just happens mm, when yeah, you yeah. found then the I, Then I somehow come up with the idea of the bird disco. And then I, yo, I didn't work with the music in that way before. Even I, like I said that I, I have played guitar like 10 years and really was into it, like when I was something 14 to 24, 25, I was doing it really much. And I 
was thinking all that also as a career instead of photography. But uh, it didn't sort of like uh, came in that way. And uh, so when I found these bird sounds and I started to work with sounds, it felt kind of freeing. I didn't think about that I directly have to make like art. I can just do this music. And I just decided that, okay, I do this, do this music and uh, see what happens. But that became an art piece then. Yeah. But that was sort of like that I, I I took a completely different direction that I didn't try to force myself to make some film or photography or stuff like that. And I, then I found out that it was really fun to do, that I liked it, like yeah. just making music. And I thought about it in that way. But of course, it's it's economically really like a hard that you somehow feel that you should be able to create all the time something new to keep up with this like a uh, yeah to get money from it too yeah and also not i mean one thing is to be able to create constantly and then another thing is to be able to make money out of that creation yeah exactly because <laughs> that's like a whole other job in itself yeah absolutely and uh, yeah I, I felt that it was really hard then actually mm. And uh, maybe maybe I felt that I was quite tired of trying to create something new all the time. When I sort of like finish one thing, now I should start the next one. I, I think I remember it that way that I, I thought about that. Okay, maybe if I don't, if I'm not able to sort of like make some kind of an art project, does it really matter? I can try to make this music and see what happens as a side project. If I can just live somehow, that I, that I felt that okay, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. So maybe it was a kind of a block. Your space, your studio is in this building, uh, with other artist studios as well. Is there a, a sense of community be between the different artists here? Do you like meet each other or? No, we don't meet each other. Uh, we have like uh, nowadays, we have a WhatsApp group. If there's something concerning about the, about the building, we can send and ask. Mm. And if there's some somebody needs some help somehow, you can send to this group and see if somebody's here. But yeah. we don't we don't have any sort of like a kitchen together or something like. We don't have any gathering room here. Yeah. So it's sort of like haven't haven't become uh, a community in that way and uh, and then I maybe that's a little bit sad on boring in, in a way that in that sense that when I have this time scale which is something in between nine and four normally I feel that I have so little time that I I just do my work here every day I take a lunch with me and uh, we eat together with my wife mostly every day and then we can sort of like think about talk about some other things and uh, but that's about it yeah and then we sort of like continue working because it feels that of course there are periods when there's an exhibition coming then now some of us needs to sort of like work long and then it sort of like becomes longer days absolutely and some weekends too but but we try to keep the weekends as a free time for the family. Yeah. And the evenings too, if it's not necessary. Yeah, I guess if you, I mean, when you have a family, it's yeah. even more difficult to 
keep some sort of a community with some other artists or mm. contacts. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, yeah, that's know. true. Yeah, but maybe that has happened with Galleria Huuto, that I have been uh, active there sometimes. But now I haven't been there for many years active. But, uh, but Are it you part of the Huuto yes. thing? Is the association? It's, yeah, it's our association, like but we are really many. We are around 100 people. And it's sort of like uh, all the time gets that way that there's maybe 20 people who are really active. And then there's so like the. But I haven't been that either there actually active now. I feel that I haven't had really time. And uh, of course, it's a, there are nice people in this corridor and all that, but it doesn't sort of, it hasn't come naturally. Yeah. Do you miss it? Would you want to have this kind of a contact with other artists or are you yeah, abso okay? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and um, times when I've uh, been active in uh, Galleria Huuto, mm. they have been also really nice, but, uh, but you sort of like, I think I was quite active five, six years in it. But then it's sort of like uh, I made a one, one little bit bigger thing and then I felt that it was sort of like a little bit, uh, it got a little bit too much. So I needed to take a little bit break. Cool. And then, then also that I had like uh, economically, I needed to work with, uh, with teaching more and trying to do something else. So. So my time for making art got so little. Yeah. So you sort of like, uh, I didn't want to uh, use it for some like, uh, for some organization because I, I felt that I needed all that time to just make art. Because if you're teaching, you prepare for the teaching and it takes time. So yeah, and, like and if you're teaching, you're working with people all the time. So yeah, I guess maybe. It's that's true. And, uh, and somehow I have a kind of a like a group now in the, in this, the teachers in this art school. There, there is a kind of a community too, absolutely. A few words about the studio space, as usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you are sharing your space with your wife. Yes. But you kind of have separate rooms here. Yes, absolutely. We need that. Uh, and also it's good that we have the, we can close the door. Ah, uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been here? Uh, we have been here more or less, I think from 2010 or something like that. Yeah, oh, over 10 years. Time. Yeah, over 10 years. But first it was that way that we, <coughs> there was another artist who was in that big room. Mm. And we had this, this small place together. Mm. But, uh, but we had, uh, at that time we had uh, one working room at home. So I had like my computer there in mm. that one room. Mm. So it wasn't that bad to share. And then we had also, our kids were so small that one of us needed to be home all the time, basically. Yeah, that, yeah. So it was a two, three years that way. Okay, and uh, have you had studio spaces before? Yes, we did have one in, uh, we did have one in uh, Vallila when we were living in, uh, in uh, uh, Kallio. Yeah. But but it was interesting. We just uh, spoke with uh, Charlotte about that studio. That it's interesting. We I, I think we got it when we w moved to Helsinki, 2000. But 
we were both so lost that we, we didn't really do anything in there. <laughs> we, we had the space and we shared it with one other artist. It was a quite huge like a room together with, with him. But I, I wanted to make a videos, but there wasn't at that time there wasn't any kind of a way to edit video at home. Mm. There, there wasn't computers to do that. And uh, so I so I couldn't do that and I I sort of uh, went there just sometimes and read or or think about or something. So it's uh, it was really that kind of thing. She was making some uh like uh, some kind of a um uh what is it uh, like uh, offently uh, the public work artwork like uh, and maybe she used it for a while but but it wasn't that easy then we had another place closer to here when i when we decided to move to towards to east helsinki or that we moved to puotila 2003 then we wanted to have a studio somewhere closer here we had it in here in hertoniemi in a building which then was uh, like uh, demolished and mm. the whole building. So we've always had the studio kind of together. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Still get along well and yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sharing so much. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, the room that you have now, it's how how big is it? Uh, it's together. I think like was it 50 square meters but as you see here i have a just like a sm small part of it but i don't i don't either need that much because um, if i would need a studio i would need like almost this size of the only myself like uh, if i would make take photograph in a, in a studio environment or stuff like that so mm -hmm. so basically i need just a uh, like a desktop and where to sit and uh, and um, edit edit uh, videos or do the do the photographs and sit and think and all that. Is it important for you to have a studio space or do you think you can just work at home? Uh, no, well? I couldn't. But uh, of course, uh, I have been doing that sometime and sometimes it's quite nice that I don't have to come here if I just need to write something. I can perhaps find a place at home. We have a, one desk mm. where you can sit and there's also one screen. There's there's space for that. But it, it feels easily if you get stuck there many days in a row that you sort of like lost that feeling of that you are doing it as a profession. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel that it's good to have this space where I can come and I can feel that, okay, this is my studio and uh, I make art here. And so you kind of separate your li life from your work or uh, sometimes I try to do it but but not all the time of course I'm sometimes filming filming during the summer vacation if I find something or recording something if I see something or hear something like yeah so it's it's not that simple but uh, but now when the kids are more grown then uh, it is sort of like uh, maybe the work days can be a little bit longer and uh, maybe doesn't need to be separated that much that I can sometimes do something at home in the evenings too. But but earlier when they were young, it was so mm -hmm. so much happenings and you have to be all the time around that it wasn't really possible to work that much at home. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, do you store, uh, uh, although we don't have that much to store because no, most no. of your work is digital. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have, I'm quite neurotic. So I have all my stuff in, uh, in at least three or four different hard, hard drives. Three or four? Yes, Whoa. like uh, one, one in here at the desktop. Then I have probably one in the inside there and then I have one at home in a different location. I have two backups, but now I feel like it's too little. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, it's like it is, you have to, but of course it's a little bit of a question of um, uh, money to that if you are able to buy buy the hard drives, but... They're pretty pricey, especially yeah. if they're like more storage on them. Yeah, and uh, I feel now when I'm filming with this 4K raw material, they that are... must go know, bonkers there Yeah, exactly. So, so probably I'm not going to be able to continue like this or that I have to sort of like get rid of the material, mm. delete it if I don't feel like that. I don't need it at the moment. Yeah. But I have a problem if, if I only have the material at one hard drive or, or that the hard drives are at home, both where the materials, if they, if they, if they are in two yeah. or that they are in here. I, I feel that it's too insecure <laughs> if something happens. I mean, yeah, of course, it's, it's your work. It's yeah. the majority of what you do. You want to keep yeah. it safe. What is the best thing about this studio that you like the most? Uh, I think it's really nice that it's high in the ceiling. So even if I have like, uh, what is this? Maybe maximum five or six square meters. When it's high, the room, I, uh, it doesn't feel that small. Yeah. as it is like this bottom and then I of course like the window that it's up it's there and it's, you know, it's really big and uh, and also that we are so uh, that we are so high in the building so it's quite much light and also nice view outside that I sort of like see something else than just a parking parking place of yeah. cars yeah. yeah so I can sort of like follow the the maple tree there mm. how it sort of like uh, yeah acts yeah. And also the one really, really good thing about this is that this is uh, perfect distance at, from home. It's about four kilometers. So basically... That's a perfect distance. Yeah. That oh. it's, it's not... Uh, no, I don't know what's the perfect distance, <laughs> but at least it feels quite good in that way that it's no, not too close, but it's not that far. So I can basically buy, bike here every day. Mm. Even, even now uh, in the winter time, when I fixed uh, this like a uh, real winter. Oh, you do bike in the winter. Uh, yeah, dup. Uh, it, is it called dup decks? Like a uh, winter tires in your bike. Know. You have those giant ones. No, or? not the giant ones. Just with this like. Uh, oh, the spikes. Spikes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I put it in uh, in front and back. That yeah. we have sort of like a, uh, we have uh, winter bikes separately. So we can change. We have uh, two bikes, like a summer bike and a winter bike. Yeah. And yeah. then when it's when it's freezing and it's it's it gets like uh, icy, we can just take that bike. Yeah. Those bikes and bike. Oh, I yeah. I, I have a bit of like the zero degree barrier. Like if it's below zero, I just I just couldn't. Even if it's not uh, snowy or anything, yeah. it's just so cold. <laughs> for me no, personally we were, uh, that's it's really nice we were biking e even when it was min minus 20 <laughs> I 
I'm barely just, moving. What is But you don't you don't bike that uh, that fast. You think yeah. about it as a walk, just that yeah. it goes a little bit faster. When it's minus twenty, like my nose feels the needles uh, yeah. when I breathe. <laughs> well, okay. Almost the worst worst uh, like uh, time is that when you have this ice and it, then it uh, something it's like uh, water under it that the, when the bike hits the sort of like ice it breaks oh, and then, then it's sort of like then it you you and then it's it's really hard you sort of like get stuck in there uh -huh. so that that is not good that's so long. that's the worst actually and this slush if it's really like this much slush it sort of like goes back and forth and mm. that is not nice but but sort of like if it's icy it doesn't matter when you have a good spikes in your yeah. bike so it goes really really nice but but there's the thing the four kilometers goes well in a minus 20 or 15 but if it would be eight i wouldn't probably do that that long so i don't know for me four kilometers is way too much <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah my my studio at the moment is about two kilometers yeah. away and i feel like that's the getting towards the yeah. edge <laughs> that, yeah, no, that could be that could be good too but we don't have the possibility to have it that close so. yeah yeah. Do you go to exhibitions otherwise? Uh, do you visit them? Yes, I try to do that, but uh, but I, I I should do it more often. Actually, I feel that I, I'm uh, a little bit too uh, yeah too little yeah. But I I, I I try to follow what's happening absolutely. Where do you go most often? Uh, of course, I, I try to see everything what's in Kiasma and then uh, Taidehalli, Amos Anderson, and then uh, then the quite basic uh, route is that if you, if I take like uh, Anhava, Forsblom, uh, Helsinki Contemporary, and then Hippolyte, mm. that is sort of quite a, a nice. And of course, I go to I used to go then to Galleria Huuta, but now when they when we moved local to the Kalasatama, then it's probably not the same route. Yeah, when you go to see the others, it's a bit off. Yeah. And then, of course, I, I try to go to see Mu, and uh, there's uh, this uh, photography museum in Ka Cable Factory. So that's also yeah. one place. And then... Uh, yeah, I hope that uh, no Kohta is Kohta has really good exhibitions, but that's a little bit off. That I really need to plan that that I go there. But maybe now when when Huuto is there, close, and there's uh, some other places too. Yeah, they have nowadays. I I think they have uh, also a Sunday art walk around. Yeah, that exactly. District, yeah, so yeah. It's another yeah yeah trip. Hmm. Uh, what are some artists that? you like their work and follow? When I start to work, I, I try to then look some of the, like probably somebody ha who has been working a little bit the same way. And uh, of course there are really many uh, works what I have liked it during the years and uh, sort of like what, what feels uh, interesting. I don't, I don't have in that way, of course I have a I don't really go to see like in Instagram or Facebook or, or the homepages either often. Mm. But I uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard question, but but I <laughs> tried to think about this, like uh, so I have to check a bit. But um, yeah, it's funny. It's, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you actually made a list. Yeah, it and felt that way that I uh, because there are so many good artists in Finland, even and abroad. Yeah, of yeah, course. That mm, and and uh, so it's it's really hard, but. If I, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought about that, of course, in the beginning, when I started to work with the video, I tried to check what uh, Bruce Norman was doing and trying to get a little bit into it because I probably have uh, some, some like works which were a little bit inspired by him and uh, was close to it. And uh, so I needed to check that and feel that if, if this is like uh, uh, different and then Bill Viola, of course, in the who had an exhibition in Amos Anderson. Oh, that was such a wonderful yeah. exhibition. And um, then there was, uh, then I have seen really, sometimes when I think about some works, I come up with this uh, Marcus Kores, uh, the room, which has uh, like a mirror cut, opening cut in the mirror. So it's a double room, but you think about that, you see, you go to the one of the rooms and you see them opening mm. in the, in the, uh, ceiling and and uh, and you thought about first that it's a, a mirror but it, it's not it's open so it's like a building two different rooms and that is every time when I see it I think it's really fascinating and then I thought about this uh, Maria Virkala's work which is uh, sort of like a, I think it was a stone in the middle of room and then there was uh, like these um, ladders but the floor was moving, that when you stand on the floor... Oh, was that in Kiasma at some point? Uh, that has been at least in Taidehalli quite a long time ago, but it could be that it has been in Kiasma too. I have some vague memory about yeah. this kind of a work. Yeah, and then of course then when Eija-Lisa Ahtila had he, her exhi big exhibition in Kiasma, I can't remember even when it was, but that was really, of course, really uh, powerful and made a huge impression. And uh, and then um, uh, then Lauri Astalas uh, works I have uh, liked it and I I try to always follow when when he is making exhibition that I see what he's been doing and what else <laughs> I thought about that it it feels really bad if I say some but then I forgot somebody. But I yeah. mean, it's a, it's yeah. a momentary snapshot yeah, of what's exactly. on your mind. Yeah. It's it's not like uh, eternal yeah. uh, and then, list. Yeah, exactly. And then then I the one work too I felt was really impressive was uh, Shirin Neshat. She had an exhibition in Espo in Emma, and then there was one work which was called I think it was called Turbulent, mm. and that was really strong. And there probably I thought about the sound also that it was so it, it was singing it was kind of a one man was uh, it was two projections like this and then one man was singing and their background was a man and then there was a woman singing alone and they were sort of like uh, singing after each others and and that I felt that it was it was really like a powerful work but on the other hand it used it really nicely the sound mm. so it was sort of like a, a strong experience both like uh, visually and sound and sort of like the whole whole thing. It sounds a bit like you like works that are uh, 
spatial somehow mm -hmm. like around you yeah 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 it could be that it's uh yeah that is yeah quite important for me but then i have this like photographers like i i like uh, uh, my old teacher jan kaila he was really important for me when i was studying and this um, collaboration what he did with elis sinister and then i i don't know if you know ilka halso makes these uh, big uh, like uh, nature a little bit like a nature photography but uh, he has put uh, built with a with a computer mm -hmm. like a sites in the in the nature and uh, those I find uh, always fascinating I show them quite often in the when I'm teaching and I, I think he's he's really fascinating and then Ulla Jokisalo Jorma Puranen these all the ones they they are you know, really inspiring and uh, just the one <laughs> a couple of m more names like uh, this uh, one artist uh, from Iceland called Sigurdur Gudmundsson. He made this uh, really uh, like a humoristic uh, photography at uh, I think it was in the 70s. And they, those were quite important for me because I sort of like understood that, okay, I think these are really poetic, but they are humoristic at the same time. And I felt that that was a little bit relieving. Mm. that I can have like a humor in the in the works too mm. and it doesn't have to be always so like a dead serious but still they can be deep yeah and that's that's probably like uh, he made a really nice uh, photograph series which I I still like oh, and then there's a Ukrainian photographer of course because of the world situation I have been thinking about it a little bit like a, like an older one called Boris Mikhailov has made a really strong works too. That sounds very familiar. Was he yeah. one of those classic ones? Yeah, he, he has been doing really different kind of even self-portraits and then this kind of like a documentary from the street or one where he was photographing people taking sunbathing in, in, the, in the lake which was uh, was it uh, completely radioactive or like uh, that it, it was known that this lake is like dangerous Mm. But people were sunbathing there and go to swim. And it's sort of the connection, really strange feeling that people are having this really nice day at the beach or around the lake. But we know that it's poisonous, the place, if I remember right. But still, and then, then he made a, <coughs> made a uh, series of uh, this really straightforward documentary about the homeless people in, in uh, Ukraine. Mm. And... Uh, and that, that's also really, really touching and really sort of like a disturbing also in one way, but strong works. Thank you. And, <laughs> and then all the other ones who I just forgot in this moment that there are so many good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. And that's why I'm also asking everybody to yeah. broaden the, the list yeah. of, of people who inspire other people. Yeah. Yeah. But. Thanks a lot for this. Yeah, thanks. It's been, it's been very interesting to get to know you and your work a bit more. Yes, thanks. <laughs>